Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of So How'd You Get Here? I'm Angelo. This is Tony. And today we have a very special guest, Claudia Ramsamir. Did I say your name right? Claudia Ramsamir Lyon. Oh. Yeah, she did marry my friend Angelo, so now she has a last name. Okay, cool. A different last name. We oh. just cut okay. my husband right out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah he right. doesn't even exist. He's not here. He's <laughs> not here. <laughs> He's not here, so we want your maiden name. Claudia, thank you for being here today and being able to come out on Super Bowl Sunday. And um, yeah, we want to hear a few stories from you. Well, Claudia, I've known Claudia for years. She is a casting director extraordinaire. She has a wealth of knowledge with casting, so I'm excited to hear. How, so literally, how'd you get here? Like, how did you go from Brooklyn, New York to Los Angeles, California and get started in casting? Okay, that's a long story. Well, I mean, that's why we're here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take it, I'm gonna take it back. Version. Yeah, I don't know if I can do that, <laughs> okay. so you, you may have to jump in and cut me off. Okay, okay. Uh, but what... I, I guess I would start with wanting to be a director. Oh, and, I did not know this. And just and also knowing that I wanted to be in entertainment, I wanted to work in television and film, but not sure what everyone did. I always thought that casting director sounded interesting. Like I would see credits roll on a movie or a TV show and think, oh, that sounds like that could be an interesting thing to do, not really right, knowing right. what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but the tangible thing to me at the time was, directing because that was sort of a a clear-cut thing and I'd seen other people go on and do it. Uh, So went to college, studied film and psychology, got out of there, had no idea how to get into the business, had no connections, didn't know anyone. And I was working in retail in New York City like a year after I graduated college. And I'm folding sweaters and folding (laughs) sweaters and manager my manager at that store was like what are you what are you doing with your life what are you what are you doing here and uh, I was like I don't know trying to figure it out yeah Yeah, I just graduated and he said well I went to college with a casting director she's one of my really good friends why don't you give her a call and so I cold called this casting director and then I was like well let me call cold call some other places too and I, I looked up and at the time was this a casting director in New York City though? it was a casting director in New York City like the assistant picked up the phone and was like, no, we're not looking for an assistant or an intern, but why don't you call like some other places? So I just, I called the only places that I've ever heard of, which were CBS, NBC, right. and ABC. And the only just place- Just cold called them. Just cold called them, probably from a payphone. <laughs> <laughs> we're going back, you yeah. guys. What's a payphone? What I don't know. I've read about it in history. I, I see them in movies sometimes, <laughs> yeah. but not sure. But- uh, So the only place that picked up the phone was ABC, and the woman there said, hey, we're not really looking for any interns, but why don't you just come in? And so I went in, and I was able to intern there through a pilot season. Oh, wow. And I got there, and they were like, hey, you know, do you want to run the camera for these auditions? Yes, great. Do you want to go get a cup of coffee? Yes, awesome. Do you want to go to this comedy club? The shows don't start till 10 and they go on till two in the morning. Yes, I would love to. I would love to. So just to backtrack real quick, like what's how old are you right now? Twenty two, three? Twenty, twenty one. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, so you're you're the yes girl. You're gonna say yes to everything. Like, exactly. why would you not? I'm just yeah. excited to be there. Like thank you for ha- thank you for letting me in the building. Yeah. Right? Right. right. So um so I started this internship and just, you know, happy to be there, happy to do whatever they asked me to do. And but still living at home with my parents, not really making enough of a living to make it on my own. I was like, I'm a college graduate. What am I doing here? And so they, they were actually really great to me because they were 
those casting directors, they, they had a network, which you guys know now, like you've got your network of people. And if you meet somebody who you think is interesting or can do something well, you, you give your friends a heads up and everyone tries to help each other. And that's what they did. So when they didn't have something, and this is all happened like over the course of maybe one year, when they didn't have something for me to do, they say, Hey, Oh, you're, you're working on a new Broadway show and you need somebody to sort headshots for you and answer the phone. Hey, Claudia, you want to go there for a week or two? I would say, yes. Oh, my, my friend's making an independent film downtown and they need a PA. Great. Maybe I'll be a producer. So I, right, you know, right. I go <laughs> do that for two weeks, which, which sort of enabled me to go anywhere and be able to sort of answer a phone and make an appointment and, and, and really be a little bit of a chameleon right. mm-hmm. and, and learn different, different things in the industry. So, um, so one of the people that they introduced me to was this woman named Phyllis Huffman, who at the time was a Warner Brothers casting director, and she cast all of Clint Eastwood's films. Oh. So, so this woman says to me, okay, great. Do you want to start here and, and you know, be our person? I was like, yeah. How much are you going to pay me? And she said to me, this was an internship. Like this is, and, and I was like, oh, I thought this was, I thought this was going to be my big break. I was going to be a paid assistant. And she said, well, I can pay you a few hundred bucks a week. And I at the time said, well, then I can only come in three days a week. And she said, I don't like it, but you have a deal. Right. So that's how <laughs> I started. Wow. I look back on that and I'm like, who is that person? Like, what, what was she thinking? Right. right. And she would have paid you nothing if you hadn't even asked for that. She would have paid, you are so right. She would have paid me nothing. And so, so I started there and I was still running around doing, like I was there for three days a week and I was doing the retail job one day a week. I was going to the other internship. Like I was running around and still not making enough to move out of my parents' house. Right. Like still, still living in the same place. It's also New York City in when the, this 90s. is the early nineties. Yeah. yeah. In the nineties. Okay. And, uh, and so I started that assistant slash internship, I call it. I was there for a few months and I was starting to kind of get down on myself and feeling like I was never going to make a living at this because at the time it seemed like you really had to know someone or go to an Ivy League school and get in through finance or business or something. And, uh, and so I was like, you know what? I can be competitive if I go to business school. So I started taking uh, GMAT classes across the street from the Warner Brothers building. I don't know what GMAT classes are. So it, it, at the, I don't know what it's called these. It's probably called something else. But I was like, let me go get my master's. So I decided I'm going to... In business? I'm going to go to business school. Okay. And I'm going to get a master's in finance and get in through film finance or something. Something like I felt like getting a business degree would be something concrete right. and that I would be able to figure out sort of a linear path that way as opposed to doing what I was doing, sort of swim, swimming around to different places, right? So, so I was working during the day, studying at night, and starting the application process for business school. And the same woman, Phyllis Huffman, called me in one day and she's like, Claudia, what are you doing? Like I'm studying. It's a recurring theme yeah. as we go along. Like people will look at me and they're like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and I said, I don't know, like I'm doing this and I'm going to get my business degree and I'm applying to schools and three of them in, are in California. 
And uh, the graduate management admissions test. Yes. Copy. No, they still have it out there. There apparently. you go. Okay. There you All go. right. And uh, so, so I said to her, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm going to get my MBA, and that's how I'm going to get in, and that's how I'm going to make a living. You and said this all in the conversation to her. Yeah, when okay. she was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm studying for these tests, and I'm going to apply to grad school. And she's like, are any schools in L.A.? I said, yes, three of them are in Los Angeles. And she said to me, well, Clint Eastwood called me <laughs> last night. I love that. You yeah. Had, that's yeah. great. He's starting up his next movie. If you're applying to a few schools in L.A., do you want to come out? and be my assistant on the movie for a few weeks while you go and visit the schools. And your apply. first question was, does it pay more than $200? Oh, no. <laughs> it was no. Free, ni- free 99 Free? I said, yes. Okay. I said, yes. And she picked up the phone. Like, we were having a conversation like this across the desk. She picks up the phone, uses her frequent flyer miles to book me a ticket to L.A. right as I was sitting there sent me home to pack my bags for a few weeks on this movie. Can, can, can you, you say, say what movie it was? It was Absolute Power. And uh, so I went home, packed my bags, got a few hundred bucks from probably my mom. <laughs> right. And uh, got on a plane that Friday. And by Monday, I was driving on to the Warner Brothers lot. And let me tell you, I had... A, anybody who's back east... A lot of people who are from the city will tell you, like, you all get your driver's license, but nobody really drives. Right, drives, right. Well, right? in the city especially. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and so I had my license, but it was really the first time I was driving, driving. Uh, and, and the deal was... And you're how old? 22? 22, yeah. maybe? Yeah. And the deal at the time was, come be my assistant on the movie... All you have to do is drive me back and forth. I don't want to drive myself. Like, you, you pick, up, pick up the rental and drive me back and forth. And, uh, and the other thing was, uh, I'm going to be there for a week, and then I'm going to come back home to my family and kids for a few weeks, and then I'll come back for sessions. So I was sort of, first of all, I remember on a Sunday night, I did a test drive to the Warner Brothers lot just to make sure I knew how to get there and back. Um, Smart. And drove on to the Warner Brothers lot on a Monday morning. I will never forget this. I had to drive through the ER lot where they were yeah. filming the show ER. And they were all playing basketball in the middle of the street. And kind of, and again, like, I'm like, God, I hope I don't run over one Is of these Is this one ER off Barham actors. or off Forest Lawn? Barham. Barham. Yeah. Okay, I know what gate you're at. Uh, gate two. Yep. Gate two. The bougie gate. I was like, I was like, my <laughs> lord, please don't let me run over George Clooney, or Eric Lasalle, because they, they would, they would hang out in, in you yeah, know, yeah. in the street there and play basketball every day. So, um, so I drive in, I park, and and I was, it was the biggest car you've ever seen in your life. I don't remember, but I remember it was felt like the biggest car I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm like driving it onto the lot, just trying not to crash into anything. And I get there, and they're like, okay, here's your office. So I walk into the bungalow. Clint has his own bungalow there. I walked in, and it's just an empty standard office. And it was my job to sort of set it up with, you know, whatever, phones, folders. And uh, and I remember just kind of sitting there and taking it all in. And this, like, man, like, walks past the doorway really quickly. And then he, like, comes back as, I guess, the the office had been sort of empty, like that one office in that hallway. And he comes back and he pops his head in and he comes down. He's like, Joel Schumacher, nice to meet you. Nice to meet <laughs> Come you. Come on. And leaves and keeps going. I mean, this was my first day on the job. Yeah. 
This is my first day on the job. So, um, so that, that was my intro to Hollywood, right? Is, uh, is meeting Joel Schumacher, driving through the ER set and setting up an office at Clint Eastwood's bungalow. Were you just in awe? Were you like, I made it? Like, this is where I'm going to do? No, no. I was, or you like, this sucks. No, no, no. I was, I was in my head. I was like, you just have to get this woman to the office and back to where she's staying without crashing the car. Like, I was all about, like, just... The Dri- task at hand. Drive- like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I was all about, like, executing the task and not messing up, right? So I didn't think I had made it by any stretch of the imagination. But what I did do was completely forget about anything that had to do with grad school. Oh. I mean, those applications, they sat in a trunk somewhere, <laughs> never to be seen again. <laughs> like, I don't think they were ever You're like, I'm going to work submitted. in Hollywood, and that's it you know what it was? It, it, the door cracked open and I didn't look back. Yeah. Right? Smart. So, so I was there for that movie and I never thought I would stay here. I never thought I would stay. And as like that job progressed, I was like, oh, I can't wait to get back to, I was, you know, a typical like New York snob at the time. I can't wait to get back to New York. I hate it. You know, this is place is so LA. Like, oh, they were all right. Um, and before I wrapped up that job, I had gotten another job offer. For a different casting? For a different job. Oh, okay. So, and I don't even know what I, how I did that, but there were other things that sort of presented themselves to me because, I mean, as an assistant at the time, like you start networking really quickly with the assistants. And I was lucky enough at the time to be on a high profile movie. So I was talking to the assistants at, you know, the, on the desks of the highest level agents in town. Right. And they, and that was like, I mean, the information is always currency, right? And they, and they all had all of the information. Right. And that's one thing I remember when I first came out here, someone told me like, if you want to figure out what you want to do, get yourself onto a high volume agent's desk and you will, first of all, know everything about the business. And second of all, it will help you figure out what you want to do really, really quickly. Yeah. So that was some good advice that I did not take. I wish uh, I had that. that I did I not. Wish, I, I wish uh, I had that advice when boo. I came out here. No one told me anything. Boo. Uh, I, I wish I had taken that advice, but I think, you know, everybody kind of finds their own path and figures it out right. on their own. Took but clearly you're doing good work because <laughs> if you're doing shoddy work, they don't. They don't hire you right to, for the next job. They don't, oh, but wait till you hear what happened on this this interview. All right, I'm listening. So I so I get this interview to uh, be an assistant at the WB Network, and uh, very excited for it. And I go in and I meet the woman, and uh, and they want to hire me, and they want to hire me, and and I had interviewed for another job at Paramount at the time at the studio, and. Uh, and the woman at the WB was like, you know, I'd love to have you work here. And I said to her, to her face, I'm not sure. I really want to work in features. Oh. So I actually passed on the job to pursue the Paramount job. And Looking back, is, do you think that's the right choice or would you do it different? Looking back, it was the right choice. All right. And I'm going to tell you why, because what I figured out was what I didn't know on that Paramount job, mm. which didn't last long, by the way, because when you say Paramount job, do you get the job and they put you on a feature film or are you working in all of 
casting like Paramount's like network of whatever they got coming up. So they they put me. I was working for the head of feature film casting at Paramount got at it. the time, who also cast individual films for Paramount. Who was also on like the creative executive team. She was also a creative executive at the time, and so um, so I went from you know, jumping around these desks in New York where I was sort of making the rules and setting the tone and setting up what the desk was to high-powered executive at Paramount Features. And I was in over my head. I was in way over my head. I didn't understand sort of the way Hollywood worked at the time and the way the business worked. So, I, you know, I specifically remember my first week there uh, just being overwhelmed and not knowing things that now I look back on it and they seem simple, but I didn't really understand like how messengers worked. Right. Right. And, and. Or just the etiquette or the language or yes. the rhythm. Yeah. I, I, it's a I lot to figure out. I didn't know my way around. And I remember that first week, like losing like an audition and I, I'm not going to say who it was, but it was an A-list Damn. actor's audition Damn. for a very high-level film. And I lost it. You and lost, like, what, their VHS tape? It, yeah, I lost it. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't even know the concept of tracking something down. I didn't know how to do it. And somehow it turned up at the end of the day. But I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life as, like, when I lost that tape. That's amazing and terrifying. It, it, it was terrifying. And I remember calling Phyllis Huffman and just saying, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I, I, I'm like... Are you still juggling at that point a desire to, to move towards directing? Or have you laid that to bed and said, no, this is what I want to do? I'm just looking at what's directly ahead of me. I'm in survival mode right Copy. now. I'm in survival mode, like making a few hundred bucks a week. And when I got that Paramount job, leased a car, and it was just kind of like... How can I pay rent and pay the lease on this car and have enough money left for gas? Wow. That's where I am at the time. And uh, so that job, I learned that I didn't know anything on that job. I learned how much I didn't know. And so I called Phyllis Huffman, who I look back on now. like She was like a fairy godmother yeah, to yeah. me at the time. And she was like, we got to get you out of there. <laughs> <laughs> and so... <laughs> So, He's like, Clint has another movie coming up. Just, just wait. Well, I, th- I actually ended up going back two or three times. So I would go off and freelance in between Clint movies. Like, I mean, I'm, I, there are a lot of, uh, we're taking kind of like the less than scenic way to, yeah, right. to get through this. But, but there was like a freelance period where I did go back uh, and do Clint movies. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. And then they'd be like, oh, we just got to call for another Clint movie. Come back. Uh, but the, the Paramount job... I, I got out of there in probably six months. And the what did you take away from that job, though? I took away that I didn't know what I was doing, oh, okay. and and that I, I wasn't I wasn't ready for that type, like like that level of I don't even know what. Like I didn't know my way around like the Hollywood system and the LA system. Also, big star, big budget, major picture, a yeah. lot of pressure. Yeah, and I had been around that before at Warner Brothers, but Warner Brothers was, anybody who's like ever worked on the Warner Brothers lot, it's got that that homey sort of feel to it. I and mean, literally it's my every, favorite lot. Everyone says that. Yeah. Everyone says that Warner Brothers is like the most 
It's my favorite lot like, of all the lots I've yeah. ever been on. There was something about it, and I, I, I guess it was the first time that I was in a corporate environment. That's what it was. It was a corporate environment, and, you know, people play by different rules in those environments, which, yep. you know, I'm right. well familiar with at this point, right? But at the time, I was like, messengers? Like, roll call? Like, what does this mean, right? <laughs> I, I, I didn't, it just didn't make any sense to me. And so, so she found me... Um, another film assisting job on Devil's Advocate to kind of like carry me over. Literally talking about that yesterday. Probably one of his favorite. He quotes like all day long. That movie is really well. That's the best portrayal of Satan's character I've ever seen on film. It's a good one. It's a good one. Anyway. We could do a whole podcast just on that. We're going to stop this and talk off the (laughs) books because I have a few questions. Well, Todd Tucker, by the way, all of these studio and Mm -hmm. special effects stuff, he did all of the special effects for the relief wall at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. the, the, yeah. the plaster guys that come to life. That's all his work. Wow. Small world. Small oh. world. Uh, sorry, Devil's Advocate got me extract, uh, distracted. So, Go. so I did that, but I, that was still kind of, you know, it was a freelance job. And I was like, well, what, what am I going to do after this? And, uh, and so the woman who I had interviewed with at the WB, I heard... and. By the way, again, like this is like freelance jobs in between. Like there was there was at one point I was like just temping just to just to get by. Uh, But eventually this this woman at the WB, the girl that she had hired instead of me was going on vacation. And she said, hey, you know, if you don't have a job right now and you want to come in for a few weeks, my assistant's going on vacation. Like I still, you know, why don't you come? And I was okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm there for a few weeks. The assistant's on vacation, and the assistant comes back, and they make me an associate of casting for that pilot season, and the assistant goes back to being the assistant. Ooh. So, she was not happy. With you specifically, did she hold you accountable, or the whole office? She was not happy with the boss lady. <laughs> She was not happy with me. Yeah, you, she you got not, her job by being present. She was not happy. Let me tell you show that. Up. Show up. She gotta show, show up. Show up. Show up. So so it's kind of like, yay, but boo, like everyone like hates me here now, right? Because at the time, again, like I was new to LA. I didn't know anybody. And I'd sort of like jumped over this person who was probably gunning for that position herself. Right. And uh and that's, that's really how I got my first executive position. I was there as an associate for pilot season. And, and at the end of that pilot season, they put me under contract. This is mid-90s. This, is mid, this was Dawson's Creek. Oh, okay. So okay. I started there as a permanent employee at the TCAs for Dawson's Creek. Wow. So can I, I have one question regarding that. Coming out here, the first two years I came out here were the hardest. Mm-hmm. How long before you went from survival mode to, okay, I can do this. Like, wh- what was that window? I want to say it was probably two to three years okay. as well. Okay. Because I think there's a myth out there. You move here, and then in a few months, you're just on a show or something. No. And I'm like, yeah, you got to fail for five years before you make it. Yes. And Even the, in the door. The other thing that happens is sometimes you'll get a win, and you think you've made it. Right. And then that job ends, and you're right back to where you started. Yep. yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Or even like, I mean, sometimes it feels like two steps back, but, but it's a process, and it's brutal, and I think that's why, that's why there's such a revolving door out here. I've seen so many people 
come and go back home. Like oh, especially, yeah. especially in the first three to five years that someone's yeah. here. Like most of those new friends that you make leave. Well, I think mo- LA is one of the most transient cities. Like you, people are gone within one or two years. Like over half the people that move here are gone. Yeah. Because you just realize how hard it is. And I mean, how even expensive as, it yeah, is. even as an actor, I mean, you you get in the SAG, you might get a couple guest stars, you get on a show, that show gets canceled, you might not get another show for f- six years. Forever, you don't know. Yeah, yeah so. exactly, exactly. So, um, so here I am, and I'm. You, you got you got the assistant job, or moved I, up to associate. And then, and then they put me under contract as a manager of casting. So I'm 23, 24, and I'm an executive. Unbelievable. And so I, I mean, it it feels like I crammed a lot into a short amount of time, which which I did. I must have worked twenty jobs in those first right you know, 18 to 24 months. Like I, I, I worked in a lot of different places. I worked for a lot of different people. So do you feel though, um, taking, taking multiple jobs, even though it's not the thing you want to do, does that, did that help prepare you for what you needed? Because I run into some people who are like, well, I'm only doing my one or two things and I don't want to take anything else. I'm like, well, that's, where you might learn that thing that gets you that other job. Absolutely. I mean, I personally, I, I would prefer to do one job at a time mm. because it's, it's really hard to focus on more than one thing at a time. Right. But, um, but even if you're doing something for two months and then you go do something else for another two months and then you go do something else, like that, was, I think, was one of the things that helped me. And I didn't know it at the time. You only realize that when you look back on of it. Of course. Because, like, I mean, one of the hardest things I think about working in entertainment is managing the different personalities. And the sooner you go through that cycle of personalities, like the, the sooner you start adapting to how to deal with different types of people, right. which, which is a big part of like just kind of remaining out here. Oh, for sure. Also, take it back a little bit. So for the people listening and watching this, casting. So you got hired to be an assistant to a casting director in New York. She just had her own company that would cast movies individually, or she a Warner Brothers employee. Hence, Clinton had a deal at Warner Brothers, so she did Eastwood movies. Now you go to the WB; they're like they're on whatever the WB Ranch. They did their own TV Mm -hmm. shows. Then you go to Paramount. So, like, how does like how does that work? So, you do people just have their own casting offices and they're by themselves, or you got to work for like a bigger person? Yeah. So, so there's there are casting directors and there are casting executives. Okay. And casting directors do the online casting and they cast individual projects and the casting executive will oversee that and the casting executive is usually housed at a studio or a network. Mm. And then sometimes... Um, Does the individual casting director doing that individual project, do they have the power to put that person on the show or does it go up the, the chain? They're like, we like this person. What do you think? The casting director? The casting director. Yes, they have a lot of influence and... You know, it depends on the casting director that you're working with. Um, but, you know, someone like Alexa Fogel, who I interned for in New York and has cast shows like The Wire and The Ozark. Right. I mean, if Alexa says somebody's good, they're good. Okay. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but she's also earned that from being accurate and truthful uh, over time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the casting director's word... I mean, it, it carries a lot of weight because a lot of that relationship is how she works with the writer, producer, director, and they are the ones that are really going to know what that creative vision is that they're trying to accomplish. Got it. So you really want to support that. And I try to not get in the way of that 
unless I think there's something really off. Right. So what's your next big like project you're working on at this time? So at the time, I was overseeing like most of the projects on the WB. Like there were two executives and the head of casting. And we split everything down the middle. So we all kind of worked on everything. And I, I mean, if you want me to rattle off some names of projects sure, yeah. at, that, at that time, uh, it was uh, Charmed. I covered Buffy. I did uh, Gilmore Girls, Supernatural. Felicity, that was a good one. Can you believe Supernatural was like just ended? <laughs> it was like a twenty-year run. Shocking. You know what? It was. It was kind of like it was like the last piece of the WB right. that was still around. Yeah. So there was something about it, you know. Never and forget you, Jeffrey Dean Morgan as the dad in Supernatural. Oh yeah, that's right. Was um, that before he did Grey's? That was before he did Grey's. Wow. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. That was a trip down memory lane. And you casted him, or the casting director did? So the casting director will. Do they're doing the online auditions. They're seeing 500 people or right. however many people for the role. And then the producers say, okay, I think these three people would be my top choices. And uh, he may have a top choice in there, he, uh, or he may go back and forth every time he sees them read. And then uh, the next step will be, okay, I want to test them. Do you want me to go into the details of what a test is? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. So, I mean... Just in case someone's listening and doesn't doesn't know that process, like spell it out. Yeah. So so then they'll say, okay, we want to test this actor, and uh, and then what what you have to do then is negotiate a deal with the actor. So you have business affairs contact their agent and negotiate what their fee will be for the next six to seven years on a television show. And so before the person actually even tests, which is auditioning for the higher level executives, they have to have signed a piece of paper saying, you know, if I get this job, I'm committing to your television show for this many years at this fee. So, um, so you get your three choices. You hopefully negotiate three test deals. A lot of times, like people will fall out of the mix. So you can you can say we like five people, assuming that three deals will make, just so you have options and you have context for the different takes on the role. And uh, and every studio and network has a different setup. Some places are set up like movie theaters. And at the time where I worked at the WB, it was just my boss's office and they would set chairs up and uh and one actor at a time would come in and read and then they would leave and then we would all talk and figure out who was getting the part and and that's not just based on their read it's how they re chemistry with other actors look who else you cast in the show correct like yeah you, i mean it depends on the situation um if you can get a chemistry read that's great if it's a, the single lead of a show where it's the title character then it's kind of like oh and, and again, you look back at that, and, and uh, they were casting youth-oriented shows. Right. So you really had to, you had to trust yourself and your instincts and everyone else when you were like, okay, 20-year-old person, you're going to carry a show, <laughs> right? But I feel like that was like the WB's like golden age, because I feel like exactly. all those shows had like six to eight-year runs. Like they were on for a mm -hmm. while, 10 years Supernatural was like 18 or 20, something crazy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it, was, it was a pretty exciting time because 
what happened is suddenly there, were, there was a period there. It was right after Dawson's Creek. And all the kids on Dawson's Creek got so much attention. And I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen like one of the greatest marketing campaigns of all time, like the posters, the songs, like you still remember all of it, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, And they all, most of them all went on the... Huge feature. Huge feature. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I, I remember after Dawson's came out, that's when... That's when there was this cha- this change in the industry where before that, TV actors and film actors, they were in different lanes for the most part. And when that came out, and then people started to make these sort of younger features as well, like yep. the, I Know What You Did Last Summer, the and the skulls, Varsity Blues, all those skulls. Uh, American Pie. So they were looking at the stars of the WB shows for those roles. And some people who may have only been in the feature lane were losing out jobs to Sarah Michelle Gellar and right. Katie Holmes yep. and like I mean Joshua Jackson. Everyone. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was it was actually a very exciting time because you you felt like the energy of like a star being created. Right. Of course. right? Um, so question from mm-hmm. a casting position when I first moved to LA, like early 2000s, film was higher in someone, in most people's mind than TV. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that's a fair judgment, but. Well, I mean, you said yourself, like, you're like, I want to, yeah. I want to, no yeah. offense, lady, I want to work in features. Yeah. I don't know about TV. Yeah, I don't know but about then TV. I feel like there was a, between whether it's Netflix or all of the online stuff, multiple series, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, it's almost like TV kind of took a higher step and film was harder to get going. I personally think HBO like changed the game when like mm-hmm. Sopranos came out and all these shows because it was like film quality TV shows. Yes. It's not qu- TV, it's HBO. Exactly. It's HBO. That's right. That's <laughs> so my question is from a casting position, did did you ever feel the pull of that or or was it still the same job? Well, in the beginning before before you really noticed that shift because it wasn't happening, you know, across the board. Right. Uh, you you just had to be really scrappy and you had to, I, I almost approached it like, it was almost like guerrilla style casting. Right. Right, because the big agencies, they weren't necessarily telling you like, here's our A-list roster to put on your WB show, right? So you had to, you had to figure out other ways to discover and launch stars and you had to, you had to trust your instincts and you had to kind of just like believe in people. At that time, I mean, you can answer this if you want, but was it more about, oh, this guy's really talented or like he's really good looking or she's really pretty. They're going to get a, you know, the audience is going to love them. Like they, they fit the role of, you know, ditzy blonde or goofy geeky guy. And that guy ended up getting the part. Or is it really like he went to Juilliard and he's like a classically trained actor. Like look at the way he delivered this. It's a little scene. bit of both. Oh, okay. It's a little bit of both. Without naming the show uh-huh. or the embarrassing the actor, can I get either the best or worst mem- uh, one of an addition? Maybe maybe go high level too, like a t- callback that was like, oh my gosh, I've never forgotten that person. Because or they were, or their f- their first several auditions were amazing. They got to the test and bombed. That happened a lot. I remember this one kid who he had gotten a few movies. And um, and for some reason he was auditioning up against someone else, and he was so nervous that we had to wait. Everyone, all of the executives were in the room waiting for his audition. 
He was so nervous that he had to leave the building and take a run around the block. <laughs> to calm down? To calm down. Because he, because it was, I mean, it's real. I mean, for anyone who's ever tested, we'll tell you, it is it's really nerve wracking. It's scary. I mean, I'm, I'm on the other side of it. It's nerve wracking for me when I get I, the call that I have an audition. <laughs> <laughs> like, let alone like do it in front of a room of like people that are going to change my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh. I, I get nervous all the time for actors when, I mean, who knows when we go back to live auditions, right, right. but I remember at the time, I would get nervous for every single audition and every single test. Because you want them all to succeed? You want everyone to succeed. Yeah, you want to get the role cast. And, you know, if you're a casting executive who has been close to the process along the way, then there's a part of you that has vouched for these people that are walking in the room. Not to mention, like, you're for them. Like, you have exactly. a job to do. You want them to do your job because that means you've done your job. Yeah, and sometimes the cameras are rolling in two days. And Oof. you need to, whatever you know, whatever it is. Like, there's, that's the different, one of the big differences between TV and film, right? There's, like, a very specific, fast timeline when you're producing a television show. And you need to get it done. Like, it's not like you can go back to development and right. and go look for some more people. So on a normal TV show that you've done for a role, how many people do you think, maybe not submitted because that's an insane number, but how many people do you at least read for an average role? Not a star where you're already going out to offers. I would say, hmm. I mean, casting directors, it depends on the casting director a oh, little bit okay. because sometimes casting directors sort of have like their go-to people and they'll right. bring in like those five to 10 people. And, uh, and then there's some people that do deeper dives. And sometimes a project requires a deeper dive. Like if you're going for a show where you want like people to feel like real people in the world and you don't want anyone too recognizable, then they'll, they're going to have to read some more people. I mean, my guess is for a guest star, maybe they're reading people for three days. Okay. okay. What, what happened to the kid that ran around the block? Did he get he the part? He didn't get it. Oh, he didn't? He did not get it. And he had credits. He had done stuff. He had done stuff. But you know what? He went on and got other things. He was fine. Oh, uh, okay. He was fine. Oh. Kid, do you have a, like, a, a crazy good edition where somebody came in and just wowed you? Or was like this person, like Michelle Williams when she was on Dawson's Street, like, okay, this person's probably going to win Oscars in the future. Like, she's that good. Or no one knows that at, at the time. At the time, it, you know, at the, at the time, you're just, you're so focused on, like, what's right in front of your face. Right. And you're just like, okay, is she right for this role? Like, let's, okay, are they, do they make sense together? I know the greatest audition story. Greatest audition story that you witnessed? Or just, yeah. like, lore? No. It's like well, it's out. WB. It's out there. It's oh, okay. a, it's a story that's out there. And is people... it the Ed Norton audition tape for Primal Fear? No, but that's funny that you mentioned that because when I worked at Paramount, Primal Fear had just come out, and I give him a tour of the lot, not knowing at all who this guy was. I mean, I've I've seen other people talk about that. Like every young actor, like the Clooney's, all those guys were, like, or Matt Damon, all those guys were going out for that role, and apparently he just like wowed, crushed it. Wowed everyone. Like people were blown away by his audition tape, and and. Obviously. I wish I had seen it. I probably could have seen it if I had even thought to ask right. about it. I was like, <laughs> how do I answer the phone? They're all blinking. Right? What does this mean? So go ahead. I want to hear this I, crazy good I think good the, one of the best auditions I've ever seen was uh, Ty Burrell for Modern Family. And, and that's, 
that's a story that's out there. I mean, people have talked about how amazing that audition was. I've heard a few snippets, but can you give us like the two, three minute version? Well, I heard of something that? that he originally was not wanted by like he, the higher ups, but he, his audition was continually. He was always wanted by the producers. He was oh, always okay. wanted by the creators. Um, but the first few rounds of the test, like it wasn't clicking for some of the higher ups. And what the producers did is they actually went off and quietly just shot a scene with him, like a scene that ended up in the pilot, a scene from the pilot script. And we were doing... At someone's like home or was that like at, on a set? At the producer's home. Okay. And uh, I want to say that they may have had other people cast at that time who were in the scene as well. Um, and it, it, it's funny because we auditioned... We were auditioning a different role for Modern Family. And everybody was gathered in one of the conference rooms. And the producers were like, oh, hang on a sec. Can, can I just pop something in to show you? Like, I'd never seen someone game a network president like ah. that <laughs> in my That's entire awesome. career. And he popped it in. And people were laughing and clapping. And it was completely undeniable. And it's, it's, it's one of the scenes from the pilot. And he plays it almost exactly the same in the pilot. And, I mean, that has got to be one of the best casting stories, like, I've ever even been a small part of. What was, I don't know if you can even divulge this, but what was the, hold, like, the, the holdback? Like, why did the, the producers love them, but the executives didn't? It could be a million reasons. It could be a million. And there are a million people that have to agree to say yes to something. And a lot of times you never even know what that reason is. Hmm. Like, I remember back, again, like early on casting when you're we're doing an ensemble role at the WB, you couldn't have like too many people with the same color hair. Right. right? Because can they tell the difference between them? <laughs> and, and, and I think to a certain degree, some of those things come into play with any ensemble class that you're that you're working on and that you don't want people to kind of bump up against each other, right? right. You want you want every character to feel unique and distinct. Right. So I I don't I don't know exactly why it was such a struggle, but I one thing I will say is once it was like a filmed audition, it was undeniable and sometimes sometimes a live audition and a filmed audition come thing, across right. very differently. Um and sometimes, sometimes a live audition will come across better, and, and it works better for somebody who's, like, working a room. And um, in that particular case, it was just shot the way the pilot was shot. So right. it worked. What is your opinion on that? Because I've actually watched other, maybe other podcasts, I forget what it was, or other interviews where casting directors were asked, is it better to do the self-tapes at home or you can do it a thousand times and send in your best work? Or... Do you like seeing people in the room fail or succeed, you know, work the room, come in, know their stuff, and, like, kill it, and then leave? I would rather see a tape. You got, okay. I would rather see a tape. I would rather somebody has... Here, here's the difference, though. When someone walks into a room, you can give an immediate adjustment, right? You can have them walk outside, have the director work on the scene with them for five minutes, and have them come back in and, and change it, and right there, see that and Got see it. that adjustment, but I Because that's like how it is on set. Yeah. So that, you know. Yeah, you don't get to go run around the block and take a day to work. You, don't get, you get to three minutes to, to yeah. get the line they just changed, and you got to nail it. Exactly, exactly. The other thing is, when people are 
testing for a part, sometimes like they only have like the two scenes that they've been given. They haven't even seen the whole script. Like if somebody's being like really secretive about it. So, I mean, you have so many things working against you when it comes to like, you mean in the room? Just in 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 general, general, in general, sometimes you just don't even have all the information of like where the character is going and background on, like you don't get to really dive into that stuff until you get the part. Um, the other thing, I mean, I'm going off on a tangent a little bit right now, but some people are really good at auditioning, <laughs> and yeah, and then like you just kind of get that audition for the life of a series, and th- and that's another thing that you have to like be able to do to distinguish yourself as an actor is like like okay, great, you nailed that audition. Now, where are you taking this character? Like, are you, like how can you like continue to elaborate on this over the course of a series as opposed to just delivering this one? No, no, yeah. In this performance, but I also have crazy friends that are really talented that can't audition. A lot, and I'll never get work. Not everyone is great at auditioning. Yeah, but that's how you get the job. That's how. So unfortunately, that's so how you, that's get, how you the get, job. get the job. So should we just focus on auditioning well? Yeah, or learn to like it. Yeah, learn to enjoy it, and and really understand that auditioning is part of the job as much as. Getting the job. Getting the job yeah. and doing, doing the job. The job. Yeah. yeah. But I, listen, we're casting for a filmed medium. So like, I enjoy watching a filmed audition so you can see what it's going to look like. Right. So <laughs> like the, the ethnicity of like what's going on today and like different roles, different, you know, nationalities being cast for like all this different stuff. Do you think that? should have been shown more like back in absolutely 2090s and absolutely because i kind of feel like that whatever decade was like every show not that they looked the same but it kind of looked the same it wasn't a real conversation i you know when, when i left the wb and went to abc then suddenly it was i mean the first show i covered at the at abc was ugly betty oh yeah and i remember getting to that job and my boss at the time said, what shows do you want to cover? And I said, oh, God, I, I don't care what shows you give me, but please let me cover Ugly Betty because I've never seen a show like this on television before. Awesome. And I've never seen yeah. somebody who reminds me of me like this on television. And, like, I was, like it, it, it was meaningful. I mean. Yeah. So, so. It's also real life. Like, that happened. I mean, that's. Families like that. I mean, that's 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 every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many parts of the business. I mean, the casting process is just like a reflection of what's been going on in this business on a larger right, scale right. for this many years. And you know, the the diversity that you're starting to see, you know, uh, on camera. I mean, that's that's also a function of like having more diversity behind the scenes. Like they, they, they go hand in hand. Yeah. And so, I mean, the entire entertainment industry was built in a certain way and, uh, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't really a conversation at the time unless, unless it was. And, and it, it was interesting because the WB also had the Wayans brothers and Steve right. Harvey and sister, sister and the parenthood. So, so they, they, they did have on screen diversity, um, but they, they were on very separate shows. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then when you got, so you went from the CW to ABC? I went from WB to ABC. Oh, WB. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, I was at WB until the day they turned off the lights. 
Got it. I, like I, re- I remember reading that it was shutting down, and I, I, I never saw it coming. Wait, you didn't get a tweet or a text? I didn't get a tweet or a text. <laughs> <laughs> so when you went from the WB to ABC, you said Ugly Betty. What else was Grey's Anatomy? Were they just starting, or was that already going on? So I got there, and Grey's was a hit. Lost was a hit, and Desperate Housewives was a hit. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm working at ABC, right? That's right when I hit L.A., when those three shows were launching. Yeah. 2004, 2005-ish. Yeah, I mean, I got there, and those shows were, like, the hottest thing. Yeah, they were all major hits. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I got to work on Ugly Betty, and, I mean, I just got thrown into the deep end of the pool there. Because it was, was, it's funny, it was... uh, the WB people looked at it as kind of like a junior network. Right. When I was working there, the president of the company was 33. Of the WB? Of the WB. The president was 33 at the time. And I mean, I went through a few presidents at the WB, but I just the don't one feel like we've done enough with her, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. Uh, what I'm finding out is, like, I didn't have 30 jobs, and I'm like, I'm a loser. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wasn't running a network at 33. I had 30 jobs, and I'm still not a president of anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead, continue. Oh, so they, people... They thought people, of you as a junior network. Pe- pe- yeah, and it was thought of... As a ju- and when I got to ABC, I was like, oh, this is big time, right? This is big time, and and those three shows were, like, such huge hits that... Um, that was the beginning of more of like a corporate environment. Like this has taken me back to the Paramount corporate environment. So, so I had now had six and a half years of executive training when I got to like that kind right. of corporate environment. Because the WB, as you as you said before, like the place was called the Ranch. We weren't even on the Warner Brothers lot. Right, we were right. like on the Annex lot. We. We never had any buildings there. We all worked in trailers. And That's the one off Hollywood Way, right? Just a couple blocks north. The one off Hollywood north. Way, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. And so what they would do as the company got larger is they would just add more trailers and connect the trailers to one another. So, so again, like it was an environment that really cultivated creativity and and it allowed us to sort of like think outside the box to get things done and try to try to just do things, right. um, but. When I got to ABC, I was like, oh, you know, I, I want to say Disney owned ABC at that time. And that that felt like big time. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your position now? So at that You time, keep saying executive, but are you like... Yeah. So I went from... So I was at the WB for, I want to say, six and a half years. So I started as a manager and I was a vice president when I left. Got it. And... Then uh, ABC hires you as a vice president? Then ABC hires me as and a vice president. Um, at the network, and I start covering shows there, and that was just... Do you cover one show at a time or multiple shows? Multiple shows, multiple shows. You know, back then, a pilot season at ABC was 35 pilots, and you would split those amongst all the casting executives. So when I got there, it was like a 34, 35 pilot And you're the one person overseeing all 35? I'm doing five. I was going to say, oh, that's, okay. that sounds insane. I'm doing five and barely doing five. That still sounds difficult. And then you have foot soldiers, in essence, casting directors and other people who are your arms and hands and feet to go Correct. out and kind of 
bring you the best picks and then you make your choices. Correct. Correct. It's funny. It's funny that you mentioned it as a foot soldier because I felt like a foot soldier. You sounded like one just a second ago when you're like, oh, I was taking this job and picking up a car and getting tapes and like. I feel like my approach to work is being a foot soldier. Like even now, like I, I like to have my hands in it. I like to touch everything. Like I look at it all as a collaborative process, but I, I feel like if you get too far away from having your hands dirty, like what, what, are you, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. But how, how are you even like having an impact on anything? Right. Obviously there's probably a lot more freedom and autonomy when you're doing an independent film or something a little smaller, like you have maybe more say, maybe not, but there's also a lot more bosses and people you have to answer to on the corporate side or the studio side. So I'm assuming both come with some pros and cons. Mm-hmm. In terms of your taste, where do you where do you prefer to land on that spectrum? Well, now that I've been doing it for a while, I definitely prefer the executive side. Okay. And why? I like it because I like having sort of a worldview of things. I like I like seeing how all the pieces kind of fit in together. And as a casting director, you're 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 super focused in on on the details, right? Macro versus the micro Correct. big. Okay. Correct. And I just I just think it's interesting because as the casting director, you like you're concentrating on casting. As a casting executive, you're thinking about budget. You're thinking about production. You're thinking about casting too, but you're sort of touching all these other areas, right. which I I, th- I just think it's interesting. And the other thing is, after having freelanced for so you. Know, it seemed like so long, but I guess it wasn't long at all. Right. It, I, I mean, I freelance a lot over two years, I guess. But it was the idea of going back to that lifestyle of wondering where my next job was coming from was not appealing to me. Like, yes. I, I I liked kind of the false security of being an executive because we all know that there's really no security in anything at this point. Right. True. True. <laughs> true. True. So true. That is absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. But um, with that, would... Okay, there's a security to doing, yeah, the more corporate steady. It's like having a steady waiting tables job versus I'm just going to try to make it one at a time on job to job to job. Um, but that comes with a price probably. I'm assuming this, the somewhat security that you get, people that you have to answer to or yeah, things, jobs you have to take that you don't want to. Or Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, a casting director, a success, successful casting director you know, they're, they're only working on the projects they want to work on and they're only working with the people they want to work with and, and they, get, they get to pick based on the script. Right. Um, but when you're, you're an executive, you're, you're, you're working on everything they tell you to work on. Right, right. Now, can I, one side quick question. Do you still have any desire to direct? Will you ever I think that will always be a part of me. So if someone gave you the shot to direct... You would take it? I mean, I wouldn't leave my day job. However, yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. just, just just checking. Just I st- I've still got that keep your day job mentality, yeah. as you can see. <laughs> I will never let go of that. What are you um, What are you currently working on now? So you went, let's do, let's do a little recap. We did Independent, WB, ABC. And now CBS. Now CBS. Now CBS, where I've been for about a year. I just got through my first pilot season there. Via COVID, via online yeah i want to call it pilot season ish Ish. because because i we're we're still casting some of the pilots from 
2020. Right. Wow. Right. Um, but uh, two of the shows that I did cast that are coming out and were shot are Equalizer, which based off of Denzel. Ba- based off the yes, based off uh, feature and previous television show. Got it. Uh, okay. With uh, Queen Latifah and Clarice. Which is part of the Silence of the Lambs universe. Yes. Yeah. I don't Love know why that. I made Tell that face. Lambs, I don't know why I made So when you say Queen Latifah equalizer, was that like they knew they they wanted Queen Latifah? Did she have a deal at CBS and then she gets her pick of like the show she wants to do? She developed she was part of like the devel- oh, development so of the project. So, so she there was no casting on it as well? Yeah, there Got was it. no there was no casting process. It was Queen Latifah is the equalizer. So how often does that happen? Where like Someone like Rob Lowe already has a show. And yeah. now you just got to cast the other five people. I would say it happens with, most often, it happens with the talent that you recognize or that, you know, our parents would recognize on television. Got it. Yeah. So the network already knows. They're like, we, we should go after this name. The, who's, the not name, wor- who's not working So currently? let's say it's Rob Lowe. Right. Rob Lowe will come in and say, okay, I have this idea for a show and here are the writers and I'm going to be this role in the show and Got the it. network's like, oh, we think that's a hit show. Let's do it. That's it. Let's go. That's it. Because I heard back, not uh, just probably a Hollywood rumor, but was he the originally supposed to be the McDreamy and he turned it down and then became Patrick Dempsey? Wait, for Grace? For Grace. Okay, this was like, before uh, my time. Right. So I only live in a world of Patrick Dempsey, McDreamy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I will only acknowledge Patrick Dempsey oh. as McDreamy. Oh. <laughs> I think my question is more is that how often does that happen? Where they go out to a, somebody and they're All like, the no. And All then the it becomes like a 10-year hit. <laughs> like, it happens a lot. Yeah. It happens a lot. I mean, we, we go through a lot of no's when we're casting a show. Yeah, us too. Yeah. 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 We yeah. get a lot of rejection. We get a lot we of We get some too. yeses. We get a lot of rejection. Yeah. I got one yes from, um, um, what was I going to ask? Wait, don't say anything yet. Um, oh, so at a show at the level of Clarice or, or Equalizer, uh, Equalizer the, the actual amount of people that truly have the power to say go or not, who, how many, what is that, 10 people? Five? Ten's a good number. Ten? Ten's a good number because you start with, okay, the first person that has to approve you is the producer of the show and then the writer of the show, the director of the show, and they're being advised by the casting director. And then they bring it to the studio. So you've got the head of the studio, development executive, casting executive. And then you bring it to the network, which is network development, network casting, president of network. So. Uh, and that's uh, if that's you have a one football studio. team of people yeah. basically are the ones that say yes or no to a show going all out or just shutting it a down. A show going and every actor that you cast in the show, it's a miracle that anything gets done. For series regulars. For series regulars. And then the individual day players are the actors just casting director. The casting executive. So my department uh, approves every speaking role on every show. Got it. And most network executives and studio executives, they approve every speaking role. Got it. Yeah. Which is a lot of, a lot of roles. Once you cast a show and the pilot has been shot, who makes that decision for that pilot to be like, it's equalizer starts today after the Super Bowl. An so. army of people. Okay. <laughs> well, like, your job's done more, by then. More You're, than the 10 people yeah. that approve the actor. Okay. Many, many, many more. Got it. Yeah. You yeah. So what are some of the do's and don'ts of an actor coming into the room in the audition process? Okay. Like, so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
I'm going to answer your question with a little bit of uh, just an explanation uh, in terms of from the casting process, the question that I'm asked the most, I mean, and it's the same question that comes up like over years is, is what are you guys looking for? Which is almost a, this, it's, it's, it's sort yeah, of what yeah. you just asked as well, which is, and we're looking for you, right? We're looking for the actor to walk in and be the best version of themselves playing that role. Mm-hmm. So what you shouldn't do is walk in there and and it's a hard thing to explain because part of it is don't go in there and just do what you think they're looking for. You kind of have to do that to get the job, right? right. But I think what what takes it to the next level for some people is first of all I think to a certain degree it is very helpful to get comfortable with auditioning. And and when, when you're comfortable, the people watching your audition are comfortable. Uh, the other thing, wh- one thing that I would say, too, is, like, don't apologize if you're going in for a live audition. A lot of people come in, and they just start apologizing before they even talk. Saying they're sorry for what? No, sorry. I, I sorry, I just got the material. Uh, or just give the best yeah, audition you don't, you, you don't want to hear excuses. Yeah, we don't want to hear excuses. Right. Uh, and uh, another question that I get a lot is, should I hold my material or not? And... Most people don't care, as long as you have like a working knowledge. That was going to be my next question. Do, like, do you need them to be completely off, off book? book for those for those earlier? I personally don't care. Okay. Um, some people do, and he, that's the other thing about casting is you could ask ten casting executives and directors the yeah. same question and get ten different answers. Yeah. But for me, it's I want to feel like the person has prepared, and, and I mean that's that's what you shouldn't do in a room is just go off and go in there and, and uh, not be prepared. Right. Right? And that's that's more of, like, how to help yourself, though. Of course. Like, there's not a lot that you can do in the room that's really going to, like, lose the job if you give a good audition, though. Yeah. Yeah. What if they flub, like, a line mm. or a word? You know, like, this, do people pick up on that? Because I feel like... The feel writer like does. A, of course, the writer <laughs> does. But I feel, like, I feel like as an actor, you are trying so hard to, you know, to get it all down, and if you messed up and like I feel like that's always like in your conscience like oh I just messed up that line you know what I've I've found that usually it's when an actor trips up on a line they start getting in their heads exactly and nobody else would have even noticed it half the time except for the writer right (laughs) Right? Uh, but but it it sometimes I've seen people spiral over one line that like gets in their head and then they're out of the scene but the real key is that no one else would have noticed if you hadn't made it made, an it, issue. Issue, made yeah. it a thing yeah this, this probably isn't going to be on but just talking to you i was watching the victory podcast or listening to it and they had Sheila jaffe on oh she's great yeah and she was talking about casting sopranos with um the other walker jaffe i forget her last last name mm-hmm. and then uh and they did entourage and she was talking about kevin Connolly asked the same question as far as the ring light and the iPhone and shooting at home rather than in the room. And she's like, I love it in the room. Oh, she said that. And you said, I'd rather watch it on film. So it was like, like you said, you can get 10 different casting directors. Yeah. And they all have their own, what they like. But at the end of the day, like give your best audition, whether it's like live or not. Right. And another rule of thumb that I always like to pitch out to actors is keep it simple. Keep it simple in terms of, how you film something, but also keep keep it simple in terms of your presentation of yourself. 
So I, I always say like, don't wear anything that's too distracting. Don't do for women, like don't go too heavy on the makeup. Like, like what you're presenting should be like a good version of yourself. Right. If, if you're auditioning for a doctor role, don't go dressed up as a doctor, <laughs> please. Is that why I didn't get that one? That's so How weird. do you feel about people coming in that are just like chatty? Like, are you like, listen, dude, come in, do your job, say thank you and leave? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Listen, part, one of the best parts of the job and one of my favorite parts of the job is meeting people talking to people and getting to know people. I mean, I spend a lot of time taking general meetings with actors, right? Um, but what what an actor needs to keep in mind when they're auditioning for a role is you're going in for a casting director that has been hearing those same three pages of dialogue. For three since, days. Straight. Yeah, for three yeah. days straight since nine in the morning, and they just want to get it done. So on your generals with actors, is it just like... You just want to know about about them, like where they're it's, from. It's like kind of like this. Yeah. It's like, like where are you, you from? Yeah. Do you always want to be an actor? What if they say no? Are you like, why are you here? Why? <laughs> how'd you get here? Yeah. <laughs> why are you here? So how'd you get? <laughs> hey, that's our question. All right. So how'd you get here? don't be trying to use our question on us. That's for you. What are you, do you feel? Are you at like the highest level you can be right now, as far as like your position in casting? I get. Uh, that's a good question. So. So I'm ahead of casting, so I think that's the highest at at a network level. Um, but so so let's for mm-hmm. the audience network and studio, mm-hmm. CBS. So you do all the network shows for CBS for CBS, and yes. then CBS has the studio side, which will be like the shows that are on like Hulu or right. It, Is that not how it goes? It it's sort of how it goes. So studios can sell to everyone. Oh, uh, okay. So a CBS studio or an ABC studios, they can sell to any network they want. Um, the way the business is set up right now is they're sort of aligned with their sister companies. So m- most of ABC studios content is meant for ABC. Most of CBS studios content is going to CBS. However, you take a show like Modern Family, that was a 20th Century Fox show for ABC. Well, I remember back in the day, it wasn't Warner Brothers Friends, but it was on NBC. Correct. Which is universal, right? There you go. Yeah. 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 So, so really the difference is the studio produces the show. They are going to physically produce the show. So at the studio level, you're, you're putting budgets together. You've got a production executive. You are doing the financials. I mean, all of the physical stuff is happening on okay. the studio side. And then you take that to the network, and then they put it on a platform, whatever they sell it, whatever advertising. Yes, the network distributes it. Got it. Now, would you ever get back into doing features? I mean... Or you'd have to leave your job currently? I would have to leave... I guess it depends. Now that we're Viacom CBS, if Paramount wanted me to cast a movie, I don't know what that would look like. Oh, I see. But I would still be within the the family. Got it. So... um, what if, uh, what if some people, you know, in the downtime brought you something that you might be able to direct? What would you do with that? <laughs> I, I just don't I would like not that you... talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, the very first thing you said was, I only wanted to direct, and I want you to not let go of that, even if it's 20 years from now. Is pilot season pretty much all year round now, technically? Or is there still like those, so there's those still... six to eight weeks where it's like the, the majority of it? So it started as 10 weeks. Okay. And now it's about four, if we're lucky, right? And because there's less shows, 
I feel like there's more shows now than ever. There are more shows across the board, right? So we're in peak TV mode. Right. Um, however, like again, like when I was doing pilots at ABC, there were 35 pilots just at ABC. And, and how many of those 35 made it on air? It depends on how the lineup is doing at the time. So, so, so it depends on how many slots there are and what's working and what isn't. So when you have a stable network, you don't need as many pilots to fill the slots. Got it. Um, and uh, I think it was also a time where you didn't have Netflix to be competing with on, on such a, a level so you, you could take more shots and you could, yeah. you could produce more stuff. But uh, so, so pilot season, yes. So you're still backing into selling shows in May. Got to it. advertisers. So the whole TV system is built upon the calendar that kind of ends up at home base there, which is why you will still have a pilot season this year. I don't know how we're going to pull it off, but I think everyone is going to, I mean, everyone's making pilots this year. So we're still going to, we're still going to do it. But, but yes, there are so many shows being made like on every platform mm -hmm. at every studio. So there's there's always something going on. It's it used to feel like everybody was waiting for pilot season to go out on some auditions, but now right. there's there's always something. Can you talk about what happens when you cast a pilot? They show it to the people and then they be like we got to fire this regular. Like Ooh, he he's not working. That's the worst. He's not working in the pilot. Oof. And you recast a main role. Yeah, that happens and it Why I you got to go dark like that? I, I mean, know. Like, I want to know because I kind of feel like that might happen to me. <laughs> We're like, I get my break and then they're like, yeah, this just doesn't work. Thanks for playing. Hey, <laughs> you're still going to get paid for that pilot though. Well, All right. That is probably the worst part of the job. Is firing when, when someone. That yeah. Firing someone yeah. when that happens. I mean, I felt like the Grim Reaper for a few years there when, when, you, know, when you have to make that phone call. Now, is that a chemistry thing? Is that like, oh, we, we saw something in the room but it just didn't translate into the... Into it, the show? It could be so many things. Yeah. It could be a scarf. I mean, come on. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, you just it's reshoot usually, it with no scarf. It's Dude, usually, you gotta throw out your scarf. It's usually not an accessory, but uh, I will say I've seen more people fired off of table reads than after a pilot is shot and completed. How do you get fired off a table read? You're just... Just read the... Just reading the... Yeah, that happened. That, I've seen that happen before. Well, you just, you just said it. How do you get fired? You're just reading it. Well, you're yeah. not just reading it. Right. You're auditioning again. No, that's what caused it. They just <laughs> read the lines. And yeah. I was like, dude, are you going to try at all with yeah. this? Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to. What yeah. do you think we're here for? Well, here's the thing. Traditionally, a table read is where you do just read through the script. Of course. However, at the network and studio television level, the executives are sitting there expecting a full performance. Good to know. So that's a good, that's really good to know. Also, yeah. who's to blame when a show gets picked up and they shoot and it's on for three episodes and gets canned? Like they, the Black Donleys, which I loved. Do they come back like and be like, episodes and then they took it Do away. they come back and be like, who the hell casted this show? Like, it didn't mm. even work. No, it's usually not casting. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, the decision to cancel a show technically comes from a network president. Yeah. However, what goes into that decision, I mean, is, right. I mean, there are probably as many people who decide to put a show on TV, that's how many people decide to cancel it. At the end of the day, viewers decide of course. if a show's going to stick but or not. But sometimes I feel like that has a lot to do with, like, 
I don't know, they're going up against another show at a primetime time, and, like, that show's killing it, and no one's watching your show. Yeah, it's sad. Oh, and, and you know what's sad is uh, shows used to get more of a shot. I feel like they're quicker to cancel shows these days. Like, you have to be so great to be competitive now. What about shows that you've helped cast that you were like, this is going to be a winner, and it never gets picked up? I mean, so many, but I, I could name them here, but no one would have ever heard of them because right, they right. never made it. But um, but there's there's some there's some that still we still talk about yeah like the show should be like still on the air like it's funny yes I mean there are shows that never make it to air I I in all the years that I've worked in television there's always somebody who's like somebody should make a network for all the pilots that never went oh and that I, sounds you, like a great network someone that actually sounds like an amazing documentary I mean that comes up once a year at yeah. least from somebody and I'm I'm surprised no one has done it before. Hey, Tony, what are you doing later? You want to start a network? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it only took us like eight weeks to build this, so I'm sure, hey, we, can, sure we can figure it out. I'm sure we can figure it out. Um, anything you want to? Is there anything that Angela and I are right for? That's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. <laughs> okay, we're going to sign off anything, now. <laughs> does the equalizer need a 40-year-old <laughs> Italian? Hey, I, I took my shot, dude. What do dude, you mean? I, I took like your that. shot. Dude, I. That's my favorite part. <laughs> I love that you took your shot. Um, thank you for coming on our show. Thank you for thank having me. This was fun. Thank you for dropping all the wisdom and giving us a few details. And I know so much more about casting now than I ever did. Oh, I learned and a I, ton. I've lived out here for 20 years. Well, that's how it works. Anyway, thanks everybody for uh, tuning in to an episode of So How'd You Get Here? Um, we'll see you next week. <laughs>